Bankless Nation, we have Balaji Srinivasan on. He's talking about his prediction that within 90 days, the US dollar would hyperinflate and one Bitcoin would be worth $1 million. This is uh, both a prediction he made and a bet that he has made after that prediction on Twitter. He's been saying some alarming things over the past few days, I would say, about the US banking system. And um, maybe the most alarming is some of his early predictions have, have sort of been right. There's, there's more murmurings of bank closures that have passed both the United States and now in Europe. We just had uh, Credit Suisse with First Republic Bank that just kind of go to zero. We have uh, central bank communications talking about coordinated efforts between them all to inject liquidity in this market. The prospect of like unlimited coverage for all depositors and for all of these underwater assets is now in play too. And so I, I worry about some of the things coming to pass because his predictions, David, are, are quite dire. He is sending out an alarm, he says, the bit signal, he says, people to get their money outside of the US banking system and into Bitcoin specifically, into crypto systems and uh, outside of the areas where the Fed has root level access. So we brought him on to make this case, to hear the evidence for his claims and to see how alarmed we should really be. One thing I'll say before uh, get your response on this, David, is we do intend to bring on a counterpoint as well. So Balaji has given his case for why we're all basically the U.S. dollar is doomed. It's going to hyperinflate and that's going to happen in relatively short period of time. We also want to get on somebody to make the opposite claim so that this is balanced and so that listeners can uh, listen to the evidence Balaji comes up with and listen to the counterpoint and make their own decision on this. But I got to say, we, we needed to hear him out on this because mm -hmm. um, he's been right about many things in the past. He's been right overall about crypto and kind of the direction. And now he's setting off this alarm bell. It certainly um, gave me cause for concern and for the reason for this conversation. So David, what are your thoughts going to this episode? What should people keep in mind? Yeah, I, I think I should, the Balaji is just sounding the alarm that Bitcoin is going to a million dollars. He's made that bet. And many, many people are like, uh, the, well, he owns a bunch of Bitcoin. This is a rational thing for him to do. It's a million dollar marketing ex expense. That's not uh, what Balaji is here to say. Um, he is saying the net effect of Bitcoin reaching one million dollars is as a result of the complete destruction, perhaps, of the United States banking system and the dollar system at large. Uh, his big claim is that, you know, all of Alameda research and FTX's insolvency, where they tried to prop up their accounts with uh, with some, you know, finagling of their accounting. He is saying that that is perhaps true of the entire banking system, where there is just not a there there anymore. And so his his idea that Bitcoin is going to a million dollars is actually uh, a much bigger topic, which is more or less the complete and utter destruction of our banking system. Uh, a few comments on the actual form factor uh, podcasting logistics for this episode. Uh, Balaji just, we've been talking to Balaji about doing an episode and he randomly just hit us up and said, all right, let's do this right now. Uh, and so we kind of aped into this interview. Uh, Balaji gave mm -hmm. us a ton of links to share and we are doing our best to share them in uh, Riverside, which is our podcasting recording software. Recording this one was logistically challenging. Like I said, Ryan said, I'm also in the Dominican Republic. My internet is an, an issue, but I think the message will become loud and clear. And really going back to the content, I think the takeaway for our bankless listeners, regardless of how true Balaji is, I think there's a spectrum here. 
Either Balaji is like 100% right or he's only 5% right. But either way, the patterns and things that unfold over the next perhaps 90 days of time as a result to banking crises and inflation and liquidity, at least I think Balaji is giving us a mental model, a map to test what events happen in one week, one month, three months. And we can test them against Balaji's thesis and his theories and what he's presented here today. So I think that's really the call to action for bankless listeners to understand. See what see the model that Balaji is putting forth. And as more announcements happen, as more perhaps bank failures happen or doesn't happen, you'll be able to test it against what Balaji has presented here today. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I don't think, David, you and I are in a place to say that he's right or he's wrong. But certainly his argument warrants consideration. So that's why we are um, putting this in front of you today. Guys, we're going to get right to the episode with Balaji. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible, including Kraken, which is the best way to get your fiat into crypto and our number one recommended exchange for 2023. Kraken has been a leader in the crypto industry for the last 12 years. Dedicated to accelerating the global adoption of crypto, Kraken puts an emphasis on security, transparency, and client support, which is why over 9 million clients have come to love Kraken's products. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, the Kraken UX is simple, intuitive, and frictionless, making the Kraken app a great place for all to get involved and learn about crypto. For those with experience, the redesigned Kraken Pro app and web experience is completely customizable to your trading needs. Integrating key trading features into one seamless interface. Kraken has a 24-7, 365 client support team that is globally recognized. Kraken support is available wherever, whenever you need them, by phone, chat, or email. And for all of you NFTers out there, the brand new Kraken NFT beta platform gives you the best NFT trading experience possible. Rarity rankings, no gas fees, and the ability to buy an NFT straight with cash. Does your crypto exchange prioritize its customers the way that Kraken does? And if not, sign up with Kraken at kraken.com. Learning about crypto is hard. Until now. Introducing MetaMask Learn, an open educational platform about crypto, Web3, self-custody, wallet management, and all the other topics needed to onboard people into this crazy world of crypto. MetaMask Learn is an interactive platform with each lesson offering a simulation for the task at hand, giving you actual practical experience for navigating Web3. The purpose of MetaMask Learn is to teach people the basics of self-custody and wallet security in a safe environment. And while MetaMask Learn always takes the time to define Web3-specific vocabulary, it is still a jargon-free experience for the crypto-curious user. Friendly not scary. MetaMask Learn is available in 10 languages with more to be added soon, and it's meant to cater to a global Web3 audience. So are you tired of having to explain crypto concepts to your friends? Go to learn.metamask.io and add MetaMask Learn to your guides to get onboarded into the world of Web3. Arbitrum One is pioneering the world of secure Ethereum scalability and is continuing to accelerate the Web3 landscape. Hundreds of projects have already deployed on Arbitrum One, producing flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystems. With the recent addition of Arbitrum Nova, gaming and social dApps like Reddit are also now calling Arbitrum home. Both Arbitrum One and Nova leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, and fully EVM compatible. On Arbitrum, both builders and users will experience faster transaction speeds with significantly lower gas fees. With Arbitrum's recent migration to Arbitrum Nitro, it's also now 10 times faster than before. Visit Arbitrum.io where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first dApp. With Arbitrum, experience Web3 development the way it was meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free. Bankless Nation, we have 
Balaji Srinivasan here on Bankless again today, uh, talking about something very specific, which is a very bold call that Balaji made last week. Balaji, welcome back to Bankless. Hey, welcome. Thanks. Uh, or I guess, uh, <laughs> thank you. You're supposed to say welcome. I'm supposed to say thank you. So, well, good. I'm supposed to, yeah, yeah. You've got your own podcast now, by the way, I do. which is uh, fantastic. So um, you've probably been playing the, the role of host more often. So yes. um, yeah, tell, tell folks about that before we get in. It's funny because, you know, I launched a, a blog right before COVID. <laughs> I launched a, a podcast right before this. So it's a little bit of deja vu, you know, where I was just like a month into kind of this new sort of content project and then uh, things started getting intense on the internet um, or not just an internet, but like the world. Yeah, the, the podcast is called The Network State Podcast. It is about um, what sort of comes after the, the 20th century order. You know, and um, I actually think that there's, you know, the book, thenetworkstate.com, uh, there's a bunch of stuff in there, which I think will potentially be actually fairly relevant to what's going to transpire. And I kind of thought it might, you know, play out over a decade or something like that. You know, like that saying by, you heard the saying mm -hmm. by Lenin, there's a, uh, there's decades where nothing happens yeah, and there's yeah. weeks where decades happen, right? Like during Corona, at the beginning of Corona, the um, remote work went like 30, 40, 50 points vertical. It did like a decade of adoption in like a few weeks all these kinds of things went like vertical or horizontal or you know down you know right you're here because i think this is you're claiming this is one of those two weeks where decades happen uh and all of a sudden uh you have been inundated with intention about this crazy crazy bet that you've made where you think that bitcoin our beloved asset is going to become worth one million dollars inside of the next 90 days which uh when you take that take into account people will call that a bold call uh, and so this has made the internet uh, <laughs> all pivot their attention to this claim, which is a crazy, crazy claim that I think people aren't aren't totally understanding or, or willing to accept. So, so Balaji, maybe you can kind of uh, walk us through your thought process here. Like, how, well, how is Bitcoin going to become worth a million dollars in the next three months? So here's the thing is, I don't think I've ever made a price prediction or something like that. Just not what I do. I'm not a price guy. I'm not a chart guy. Um, that's, you know, if you look at, I've, I've been in the, for, for what's worth it, I've been in the public eye for 10 years, you know, I have tens of thousands of tweets. I have hundreds of pages of writing, whatever, hours of podcasts, including some, some with you guys, right? Essays and so on and so forth. And there's enough context there where people, I think, you know, know that I'm not like a, I'm, I'm not a money motivated person. I'm an ideological person. In our talks, you know, and so on, I've never been like, oh, price, blah, blah. So let me just back up for a second, Okay. 10 days-ish ago, 10, 12 days ago, um, Silicon Valley Bank uh, and Silvergate and then Silicon Valley Bank like basically just collapsed overnight. There's no warning, right? Just boom, done. And then this gigantic, you know, this $200 billion bank with 40,000 tech companies, people who had done basically nothing, you know, they, they're just going about their business, suddenly found that their checking accounts, the money was gone, right? Like, and and then they were being blamed as if, you know, uh, wanting their checking account back was like a bailout or something like that, as if they had done something risky. And uh, this is this whole frantic kind of thing over the weekend. And some people were acting tactically, and they were trying to figure out, you know, how to how to like you know fix the situation or whatever. Um, but I was like, how could this possibly have happened? You know, you know, and I started like looking at all of the numbers that I could find online. And just to summarize what I found, and I'll show you a zillion references on this because it's actually kind of crazy. Um, the central bank, meaning the Fed, the banks 
and the bank regulators have all known for at least the past year that hundreds of banks in the U.S. are insolvent, meaning Uncle Sam Bankman-Fried, they don't have assets on hand on a mark-to-market basis to match their liabilities. You know, Uncle Sam Bankman-Fried is the best way of understanding this because Sam Bankman-Fried, whether he lied to himself or he lied to others or whatever complicated thing, remember he had this balance sheet that was this crazy balance sheet, which, you know, like in his head, it added up to more than what people were asking for, you know, their money out, right? And until the stress test actually came and people actually withdrew their money, neither he nor they knew how much money he actually had because he wasn't just holding it on like a one-for-one basis. He was doing these crazy conversions, exposing everybody to market risk and so on and so forth, right? Essentially, he took people's trust. He took their deposits. He invested them in these, you know, shit coins and they, you know, or, or spent it on something, whatever the heck he did, marked it as if it was still there. And, um, and then, but when they actually came for it, there was a huge hole, Right. We now know that story. Okay. That is basically what has happened. And the funny thing is, you know, Amjad Massad and I, in the uh, in the fall of 2022, we were like, you know, that's kind of what fiat banking is also, because a fractional reserve and so on. They, if everybody actually asked for their money at the same time, they wouldn't be able to get it back. But the situation we've got now is so much worse than even fractional reserve. And what that is, is that um, the, the banks all did something very much like Sam Bankman Freed. They took your deposits and they bought long-dated treasuries and other long-dated government bonds in 2021, essentially on the guidance of the federal government, and, or especially the Fed, really, that they were going to keep interest rates low for a long time. And then the Fed raised rates in 2022 in this sort of surprise, super high hike, crushed the portfolios of every single um, entity that had trusted them. And uh, and stuck the banks with this giant surprise of this massive devaluation of bonds, uh, and you can see. And I found all these links where the the bankers are basically panicking about this over 2022. And do you know what they come up with? They basically come up with an accounting trick, okay, called hide you know hold to maturity. I call it hide to maturity. Where just like Sam Bankman Fried, they book it as having not depreciated. Oh, it's still worth what we paid for it. Whew, we're good, right? And this time bomb just grew larger and larger and larger and larger across the entire industry with everybody obviously knowing about it. And again, whether they were lying to themselves or they're lying to others, what they didn't do is they didn't notify you, the depositor, that the money was gone for not just SVB, but for like millions of depositors across the country and every bank that has US treasuries and long data government bonds. This is one of those things, you know what he's saying? Like if you have a problem, uh, like if you owe the bank a million dollars, you know, uh, you have a problem. If you owe the bank a billion dollars, the bank has a problem, right? If you have one bank failure, that's a bank's problem. If you have hundreds of bank failures, that's a central bank's problem. Backing up for a second, what is a proposed action that people should take? Um, get your coins, get whatever uh, you can into crypto, okay? Uh, I mean, I, I recommend Bitcoin at this point. It is going to be the lifeboat for, you know, for a number of different reasons. Of course, if you have other cryptocurrency, whatever, you know, obviously you guys are Ethereum guys. I'm not, you know, uh, let's just say that all of the crypto tribalism is going <laughs> to rise to a, like a ideological level that we've never seen in a, in a year or two years or whenever this crisis is over. But in this crisis, there'll be three kinds of zones, fiat only zones um, where like, you know, crypto is banned or seized and only the government can have it because um, it's used to back the currency. 
Bitcoin only zones, like maximalist zones, and then like, you know, crypto free zones where you can use whatever cryptocurrency you want. Okay. Um, and one of the reasons is a lot of fiat banks are about to die. They all trusted the Fed at the same time, the centralization at the Fed, buying the same asset at the same time, getting it devalued by the same vendor, namely the Fed, in the same way, then all going bust at once. Um, that's basically what's happening. So Balaji, I, I just want to put kind of the timeline together and ask how you have been piecing this yeah, together, right? Sure. So we had Silver uh, Silvergate Bank and Silicon Valley Bank. That, that happens um, the weekend of the 11th and 12th, let's call it, right? You put up the bit yeah. signal on March 16th. Yep. So that was Thursday after that weekend. And the bit, bit signal is basically like um, you telling people that uh, Bitcoin was going to go up. You, you said this, how do you ring the fire alarm on the internet? How do you show it's not a false alarm? I'm putting up the bit signal, $1 million in Bitcoin to alert us to the stealth financial crisis, $1,000 per tweet for the best 1,000. Reply with your charts, graphs, stats, and memes. So you're clearly propagating a message. One question I have for you is to some of the doubters, maybe like, let's just um, address this at the beginning. So this was previous to the bet. So some of the people are saying, some people are saying, Balaji, that this tweet and also the bet itself is kind of like um, promotion. It's basically advertising for your bags, which are crypto-centric bags. Uh, how do you respond to that critique? The thing is, if I didn't hold crypto, they would say, oh, you don't actually have skin in the game. You're just doing it for attention and so on and so forth, right? All I can say on that is hold dollars then. Okay, if you don't believe me, hold dollars and then see what happens, right? If you don't believe me, buy buy short dated treasuries like three months and just say Balaji is crazy and you know whatever. Fine, go ahead. Um, but this is like, if you look at the full context of everything I've said, um, it's impossible to prove quote motivation or whatever. Okay, but if you look at all the tweets and everything I've ever said. Um, this is something where this is like the crisis that Bitcoin was built for. Like Bitcoin was born out of crisis, the 2008 crisis, and this is the 2023 banking crisis. And I remember, Balaji, that uh, you were very, very early to the COVID crisis. Uh, and so uh, I remember you were sounding the COVID alarm in January, February, and then COVID hit in March. And so you have a track record of doing this and all, at least once before that I can remember. Uh, and it being contrarian at the time. Uh, and while this is very different from COVID, uh, I will have to say that you do have a good, you have one very strong mark of, of sounding an alarm in a prior crisis, at least a couple months ahead of time. So this is not, this is not a new activity for you. Yeah, <laughs> it's not, it's not fun. It's not fun, right? Because everybody thinks you're crazy or you're doing it for attention. They, because essentially both the virus, well, first, let me talk about COVID for a second. Let me come back to that. People are saying it was a paranoid conspiracy theory to say that coronavirus would ever spread out of China. Obviously, you're a racist, blah, blah, blah. But obviously, public health people have been thinking about pandemics for a while. And at the time, um, that was a good way of sort of framing that this was not like a threat that a crazy person was coming up with, but that public health people were. And I had sort of a mental model of the world, right? Like imagine there's like a bunch of rubber bands between countries like Taiwan, China, right? Or India, Pakistan, or Bitcoin, Ethereum, right? There's there's these various rubber bands between groups, right? Stress tensions and so on. And then when you have like a shock to the system where something goes from zero to one or one to zero, a lot of those, you know, rubber bands update and the system moves into a new confirmation, okay? And so that's kind of how I was thinking about this. Like I had like, you know, this sort of chessboard in my head 
And I was like, okay, if this hits, how does that move this, 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 and this, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Okay. And by the way, for, for listeners, this was a, a January 30th, 2020 tweet timestamp is what we're talking about. So well before the general U.S. Six public weeks, became yeah. aware. Six, yeah, six, weeks. six weeks or so. And, and I'll show you how, you can, if you just scroll down a little bit, you'll see how I did it, right? Um, so first is, I've been following, I was following the raw data. I had some background in, you know, I, I, like I, I, before I got into crypto, I was actually, uh, you know, basically doing computational genomics and statistics and especially microbial genomics, right? So I had some background in the space. So I had some lenses with which I could read some of the technical literature. Viruses are exponential. And, and the thing about this, so at the time, by the way, that's funny, it's like, you know, total confirmed cases outside was like less than a thousand or whatever, right? So everyone's like, look, it's so low. I'm like, yeah, you know, but is it like somebody who knows viruses, knows tech, it's about like rate of growth, you know, and this is like a pretty high rate of growth. Um, and the thing about this, by the way, one thing I'll just back up for a second and say, as of January, 2023, three years later, people believe two things about COVID. First, a novel virus out of China infected more than 700 million people worldwide, killing about 1% of them, and seriously sickening another tens of millions of people, causing significant upheaval by all kinds of governments and a huge tech shock, right? On the other hand, they also think, yeah, it wasn't that big a deal, life went on. Both of those things, I would say the combination of both those two facts is actually what I'd say the conventional wisdom is as of January 2023. Would, would you agree with that, that yeah. roughly? Mm-hmm. But the thing about that is, um, while I agree life went on and it certainly, it wasn't like the end of life on earth or, or anything. And we're, we're lucky that it wasn't like the Spanish flu or something. Um, that was certainly not like if you had said, if I'd said in January, 700 million people will get infected, 7 million will die. Um, but life will go on. Nobody would, that would be in the weirdest projection ever. Okay. It would sound terrifying and preposterous, but then also, and this is important, the concept of normality of some kind being restored on the other side would have also seemed preposterous. That is, that is a very non-obvious frame of mind, which is a frame of mind I'm in kind of now, okay? We're basically in, and I'll get into details, we're basically in the fiat crisis, okay? We're in the crisis where like all the centralization of fiat, all the opacity of fiat, all of the, you know, all the things that Satoshi talked about, all of that is now blowing up on people in a very tangible way. And really, it's, um, it, it's kind of remarkable. And so now the, the thing is, we're going to have a wrenching transition to the crypto economy, where just like remote work kind of went like vertical because people just had to, right? A lot of fiat systems are going to break uh, potentially over the next weeks and months and maybe years. And uh, we're going to have to switch over to crypto systems. And it'll be a big pain, a huge pain, of which the single most important is a transition to Bitcoin as a global reserve currency. But um, but there will be normality of some kind on the other side. So, Balaji, what, one difference between kind of the fire alarm you pulled around COVID and the fire alarm, the, the, the fiat crisis fire alarm that you're pulling now, is you are actually talking about numbers in a timeline, right? So you've got 90 days as a number. You've got a... Um, a prediction or a bet now as it's turned into of $1 million in Bitcoin. And that is a fairly short duration um, timeline. So you must think that this is going to happen like um, all at once using that that phraseology. So suddenly now this is the all at once moment. And I'm wondering why you think that, like why 
I mean, this is almost like hyper Bitcoinization or um, the inflation away of all fiat is sort of a long-term crypto prediction anyway. Right? Fiat, that's what happens to fiat over 70 to 100 year time periods when you know nation states go on the decline and a new monetary policy regime. And But you're saying this is going to happen in 90 days. This is going to happen in fast motion. And by the way, it's happening now. And here's your tweet warning about it. So can you tell us why? Like, why, why do you feel confident enough to put numbers around this and timelines? So, you know, the exact state of the world in 90 days, I don't know, but I think it's going to be quite different than today. And the main thing I wanted to get people's, see, it's, this is not really a bet on the price of Bitcoin. It's a bet on the devaluation of the dollar. This is the honky cruise hyperinflation table. First of all, hyperinflation is much more common than people think. And second, when it happens, it's much more rapid than people think. People basically lose faith in a currency and they go to a competing reserve currency, okay? Now, historically, that has been something where they escaped their local currency for the U.S. dollar. But until now, see, the big difference versus 2008 is today the U.S. dollar is no longer too big to fail. There are two competitors to the dollar. There's a renminbi and there's Bitcoin. And as I'll get to what... What is currently happening is all, you know how people have said that the U.S. is going to monetize the debt? You probably heard that before, right? Yeah. So everybody knew it was going to happen, but not exactly how. And it's happening now. When I was digging into the SVB situation, I was trying to be like, how could a $200 billion bank be insolvent? Take a look at this graph. This is not my graph. This is from FDIC. This is unrealized gains, losses on securities. Do you see the 2008, 2009 over on the left-hand side? Okay. And now look at the yawning losses that are there in 2022, okay? Right. This, I mean, this looks like um, similar to, I guess, the Sam Bankman-Fried FTX analogy of like, you have a balance sheet with a lot of trash on it and you have a market downturn and they've all lost like 80 to 90% of their value. And now what's propping up your assets? That's sort of what this graph looks like to me. And this is across not just one bank, it's all the banks. One way of thinking about it is, you know, sometimes people are in debt and then there's a balloon payment at the end and then they're done. They just can't pay it, right? They just don't have the money. This is this is kind of like that. That's like, you know, the one of the things that the, fi the financial system is set up to be opaque, right? It's set up to, uh, like in 2008, you know, if, if, if the market crash was happening on Twitter, people would say, tell me you don't know what a CDO is without telling me you don't know what a CDO is. And the whole point is that nobody knows what a CDO is including the guy who's selling it and the guy who's buying it. They've all fooled themselves in thinking they're so smart. And actually, the thing underlying is a house that sucks because nobody's paying the mortgage. And no amount of financial engineering can, can do anything other than hide that eventual mark-to-market -market on the thing where the guy who's paying zero money. Do you see what I'm saying? Right? And in the same way, what's happened today is uh, all of this financial engineering has led to a house of cards um, where the, act the money is gone right under underneath it like the the banks literally don't have if you came to them this gigantic hole on the right hand side if people came to them and actually asked for their dollars out the banks would not be able to liquidate their assets to get their dollars out okay and so for the whole year they hid this you know with the right decoder lens from where we are now 3 4 months later you can see huh wait it's not one bank it's not svb it's a lot of banks right and but look at the thing at the end right it's like uh, you know, 423 billion during the first six months of the year grew larger, right? This time bomb was growing and the bank regulators were aware of it and they weren't notifying you, the depositors. They were just thinking they could kick the can again somehow.
we all know as part of a fractional reserve system, if there is a run on the bank, there's not enough dollars in the bank account to meet the demands of that run on the bank. But this is somehow worse because we have these securities propping up the assets of the bank and of depositors' uh, funds that have just lost massive amounts of, of value. And so if you mark them to market, yes. we are much further underwater than just the, the typical fractional reserve banking system. You know, one of the things I learned in kind of tweeting about this is just like Bankman Freed had these weird self-deception tricks or taboos or whatever within the company that stopped people from asking the right questions, all of these bankers um, basically do not think of the Fed as an actor, right? And so they think of them as a referee. And um, it, so first, let me explain what the reality of the situation is, and then let me explain what they think it is and why they're, they haven't told you about it. The reality of the situation is, um, while it's complicated, the Federal Reserve effectively gave guidance to banks to buy certain assets that it then massively depreciated all at once and crushed every single bank that trusted the Fed, their, bank, their balance sheets all at once. And that's what's responsible for this huge devaluation here. Um, and uh, the, the thing is, though, that like a lot of finance guys, they think that it's like weird to blame the Fed. Okay. Why do they think it's weird to blame the Fed? They think of the Fed as like a referee. You know how people used to say, oh, you can't blame the media. If you're a bad guy, the media will call you out. You should be ashamed of like yourself. Like as in a referee, as in neutral, kind of an arbitrator of, of laws. Yes, like as in neutral, right? Just like people used to think the media was like a neutral referee of just like mm. the political system or whatever. It just calls balls and strikes. We have, you know, we don't have any opinions on anything, right? I mean, that's ludicrous today, right? Um, you know, they're constantly attacking people. Um, people thought that the the Fed was like a, a neutral referee of the system and it's just like deliberation to figure out what the right rate to set is and beyond politics and so on and so forth, right? If you're a fund manager, you simultaneously think, okay, the Fed is all important. Powell is more powerful than the president. Uh, you know, we listen to everything the Fed says. Our algorithms trigger on their every word. Oh, they're so, so important. But then if somebody says, oh, this bank got decimated because the Fed hiked rates, they'll say, lol, what a loser. You know, look, you can't take everything the Fed says at their word. It's your responsibility to hedge. Um, you know, it's not the Fed's, you know, the Fed just puts out guidance. Uh, you, you know, you just got to make your own book and so on and so forth. Okay. Now, think about that, right? That's two different things. It's first, the Fed is all powerful. And second, the Fed is never to be held responsible. See what I'm saying? Okay. And the reason that if you are a fund manager, um, you can't control the Fed. You just have to react to it. So it's almost as if they're like setting the laws of the video game that you're playing. And so you can't be a wimp. You just have to win within the laws of the video game. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay. And people are like, you know what? Yeah, maybe once in a while they'll complain about a call by the ref, but fundamentally they think of the Fed as legitimate. How could they think any other way? You know what? You're not going to have somebody setting interest rates? Well, that would mean we can't help people. We can't have full employment. That would be terrible, right? Oh, where well, you're saying we should, they should just publish a, a, an interest rate and stick to it? No, no, no. They need to have a data-dependent policy path where they go and assimilate all the information from the world on the state of affairs and they update the interest rate. But what that's like, by the way, and this is like a really fundamental root and branch critique, imagine steering a car by mail. Okay, you've got your car, all right? You drop a postcard out the window. Okay, you wait like, uh, you know, a week for it to come back and then you turn left or right. What's going to happen? You're going to crash, right? Because the time constant of steering is seconds and this is like weeks, right? 
that's like what the Fed is, where it's getting in data that's this lagging data. Oh, inflation is up. That's a that's a result of so many millions of people doing all these things. Okay, now let's change interest rates or whatever, and they're changing like a single parameter. Okay, and it's a highly political process. So TLDR is a lot of this stuff is actually intentionally meant to be complicated, but the simple version is the Fed bankrupted the banks. Okay, it bankrupted its own banks. At year end, 2021, only four community banks had tangible equity capital ratios below 5%. That number increased to 333 at June 30th, 2022, indicating less ability to sustain economic shocks. Okay, there's some finance bro language there. Can you help us parse through what that actually means? Yeah, it basically means um, there are 333 banks where the money is gone. And so I, I want to take a moment and like summarize everything here and everything. That, yeah. The reason why you're saying uh, Uncle Sam Bankman Freed is that, okay, so FTX uh, insolvent did some funny accounting tricks to maintain uh, pseudo solvency, public solvency. And basically, Balaji, you're saying that that is now true for the entire banking, commercial banking system of the United States of America. And even more than that, because it's also true for all of these foreign banks, mm. it's even bigger than that. Every foreign bank that bought U.S. Treasuries, and by the way, when I was saying this, people are like, oh, biology, you're so crazy, blah, blah, blah. But did you see what they just did with the swap lines? Okay, look at this. So what are we looking at here? Breaking market news from the U.S. Federal Reserve. This says, the Fed and the central banks of the U.S., uh, sorry, the United Kingdom, Canada, Japan, and European Central Bank and Switzerland announced a coordinated action to improve liquidity provision through the standing US dollar liquidity swap lines. Doing that on the weekend, it seems like the central bankers always do like really important things on the weekend, like when they're, they're in crisis mode. And I guess that happened on a Sunday, Sunday the 19th. Yeah. So what does this mean? What is this, these words around um, improve liquidity provision through standing US dollar <laughs> exactly. liquidity swap lines? What is that? Again, the thing I want to I want to stress over and over again is they will mock you and attack you for not knowing every piece of their lingo because it's like it's what camouflage is to like a venomous sneak. Okay, the whole point is to sneak up on you, bite you. Okay, and and one way to think about it, by the camouflage of venomous sneak, it's a good analogy because the the snake didn't design its camouflage; it was just evolutionary. Okay. The finance guys, because the thing is, see, in, in our sector of the world, if you're investing, if you're doing, at least in the tech sector, if you're putting money into companies that's so-called primary investment, and they're going and building a product and selling it, right? That's, that's something where both parties, all parties can win, the customer, the company, the investor, and so on, okay? Finance, though, is a fundamentally zero-sum world, often, where one party is going to lose, okay? And so they have evolved a bunch of camouflage tricks, to hide what they're doing from themselves and from others. And the whole point, I mean, there's a saying in finance, how are you going to screw me? Right? Everything is hidden in the fine print. And then it's like, ha, ah, you signed that, but you didn't think of that. <laughs> you know, the, the whole point is it's like adversarial. All right. And, and just to show you how like insane that gets. All right. Um, you know, one of the things I, um, I found that the whole, you know, how people are like, oh, uh, you know, you tech guys, you should have known that the bank was insolvent. It was in a public statement and so on and so on. Remember how they were saying yeah. stuff like that, right? Well, um, it is something where the insolvency was intentionally hidden in a footnote. Evidence of deception, okay? Now, by the way, it wasn't just SVB that was deceiving. What happened was the Fed surprised the banks, 
okay, by giving them a bunch of assets and then or selling a bunch of assets, they then surprise devalued. The panicking banks then decide to surprise the depositors by hiding their gigantic unrealized losses. And that is the time bomb that is about to blow up the entire Fed-centered economy, okay? They're blanking out the stuff that they used to show to show their giant losses. And they just buried it in a footnote, okay, the fact that they were insolvent. What are we looking now, at here? This is a SVB document? This is SVB's financials, Got it. okay? So, so the point is, look, you know, the EU makes every company put some stupid cookie disclosure on their website. But the regulator is allowing a $200 billion bank to bury its insolvency in a footnote. Okay? And let me explain. That's what I mean by like a poisonous snake's camouflage, right? The thing is, you paid for, you know, with your tax and so on, you paid for regulators to give you a high-trust banking system. What the hell are you paying the regulators for if they are literally covering up the insolvency of the bank? We're talking about something where 40,000 companies and all of their employees were banking at an insolvent bank and not notified about it by the regulator that they were paying to protect them. You see what I'm saying? Well, what are you alleging is the incentive here? Apologies. So, so, what am I alleging incentive? Yeah, yeah, like like the poisonous snake has an incentive, either you know defense or attack or something like this. What is the incentive of central banks and, and regulators? Why would they want to to hide this within the system? Exactly. Well, so here's the thing. If the entire system is going bust, okay, and you have been handed a flaming bag of dog poop, which, you know, the only the defense I can make is while certainly the mismanagement over the last few years has been historical, the debts of the US have been building up for a long time. So there's always an incentive to kick the can. Okay. Now the can can't be kicked. So they are just trying to hide it for as long as they can. Suddenly it blew up with SVB. If all the banks go bust, the regulator has a problem. So if they're going to go bust, the regulator needs to find a scapegoat. And the scapegoat is either the tech guy or the Trump guy or both. Or the people who are getting their money out or whatever. Um, if it was discovered that the bank regulators and the central bank had caused a crisis and covered up the crisis, would that look good for them? No. So this chaos that's, that's about to unfold, essentially what I was able to discover was that the devaluation of the, of the dollar, the monetization of the debt that, that Dalio talked about, whether intentionally or emergently, they're doing it now. They're not calling it that. They're calling it bailouts of banks. But this is actually the you know, messy devaluation of the dollar, where all the debts they couldn't print are printed at once. And if they thought that, and if they said that, because they've got this flaming bag of dog poop, how do they stick it with somebody without getting blamed, right? If they just came up front and said, we're not going to be able to make our bond payments, <clears throat> the US is, it can't pay its debts, therefore we're just going to print monopoly money, wee, and your purchasing power goes away, right? Then there would be a tension on what they were doing. And by the way, this is just the most extreme version of something that's always happened, okay, where um, often regulators cause a problem and then, uh, you know, they, it blows up in public. And then what happens is more failure, more funding, okay? Like every crisis powers them up because um, let's say, for example, there's some drug company and it's got an issue, right? A bad drug. Drug company goes to zero. FDA is brought in and they're spanked. In Congress, oh, you did such a bad job. And you know what it ends with? Okay, how much budget do you need to make sure this doesn't happen again? <laughs> even even failure mode is success in that in that Faili world. more failure, more funding. Because people can't conceive an alternative to FDA. So it's failures, every you know, it's it has an incentive to either cause 
or turn something into a crisis because then it's a big deal, right? And and again, it, this is something where is it conscious? Sometimes it's like, oh, they'll exaggerate and they'll say, oh, you crypto guys are criminals. Like what Gensler is doing, that's conscious, right? He's making you guys out to be criminals so he can get more budget and power. Um, he, you know, but sometimes it's like just the, you know, the emergent incentives where it's like, oh, if this thing blows up, well, we get more budget and, you know, like, uh, well, I guess now we have the authority to go and regulate that thing that we screwed up. And the way of thinking about it that's outside the FDA or outside the Fed is, do you have an alternate regulator? Right? Don't you want a regulator which will tell you in a trustworthy way that your deposits are still there? Right? That's a blockchain. Apology before we get to kind of blockchain, because some of this has happened so fast for people, right? So like I was just yeah. saying, like it was a week and a half ago, and we first started seeing like Silvergate uh, go under, and then the, the crisis with a Silicon Valley bank, and then just last weekend, so not not the previous weekend, but one before, it seemed like you know the. The Fed, uh, the U.S. government, FDIC, came out and said, look, all depositors' funds are going to be made whole. We're going to, basically, implicitly, we're going to stop the banking crisis here. No more bank runs. And then last week, we started to see, oh, okay, well, maybe this is spread to Europe uh, and Credit Suisse, uh, but it's just one bank, right? And it's like you, you hear rumors and you hear rumblings and you hear all of these things. And I think at every stage, the general public is like, okay, well, I don't understand finance. And I'm not surprised that bankers did banker things and there's a few rogue actor bankers here and banks and the Fed is taking care of that. FDIC is taking care of that. This is not going to spread any further. I think that's the, the, the feeling, the general feeling of, of the public right now. Why do you think this is more yeah. severe? Why, why do you think they can't just, just issue and say, oh, depositors' funds are going to be secured. FDIC will, will cover them. Don't okay. worry. So let me show you something. Ready? Yeah. Put this up on screen. Okay. Jean-Claude Juncker, when it becomes serious, you have to lie. You know who this guy is? I've never heard that name. Former head of the Eurozone. Okay. okay. This is central banker. And what he's basically saying is, when the system is actually melting down, you have to give public statements saying everything's all right, while you frantically, you know, what, what this is the equivalent of, okay? Remember, uh, FTX is fine. Assets are fine. Right. Yes. Like that is literally what is happening now. The serious, the fact that the Federal Reserve has put out multiple statements over the last few weeks that are like, um, we're still solvent. It's still there, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like everything is on fire and we're all going to die. It's a closer <laughs> translation of that. I mean, so the whole point is for them to spend whatever trust they have and hope you don't exit the system. So March 12, 2023, they said, 20, we're only going to print $25 billion and it won't be necessary to draw on the funds. In four days, it was up to $2 trillion. And really, it's going to be infinity, okay? So, <laughs> I mean, it's funny, but it's also bananas, right? So this is a new era, okay? This is the final era where they have found they can't hike rates anymore. They are going to, they all people are looking for their money in the banks. And so rather than those people coming up with, oh my God, the money is gone, they're printing tons of money to give it to these banks. And if and the banks are taking it, uh, and if you look at um, the and the way they're doing it, is this is swap lines and the BTFP program. And Arthur Hayes has some good. If you, if you want to know all the technical details of exactly how they're doing this shit, Arthur Hayes is the 150 IQ guy who can talk to you about it. Okay, as I said, it's set up to be complicated and whatnot. And like, oh no, they're not actually printing money. Haha, <laughs> you're so naive. But you know the 50 IQ, 100 IQ, 150 IQ yeah. guy, right? 
basically gigantic amounts of new money is rushing in to uh, because they believe there's going to be a ton of bank runs, right? Um, and the reason is those those bonds that they had in their portfolios that were marked down. Um, well, the Fed said, you know what? We're going to give you money that will make them seem as if they're worth what they were worth. So if you lost 15 cents on the dollar, we're going to pretend that it's like 100 cents on the dollar. It's just like the market treasures. They bond these, bought these assets at par, right? And again, it's all this obfuscation to cover for the fact that basically the, what Dalio talked about, the giant print that monetizes the debt, the digital devaluation of the dollar is here. This is like the final banking crisis. So ba mm. Balaji, here, here's a part that okay. I think some people don't understand though, is like, so if the Fed intervenes and provides all of this confidence to the market and they, they play the act and they seem super confident, there's no problem here. Of course, all of the assets are backed. This is the, the US banking system. They're always backed in a very serious tone. And the market actually buys that. It might be a, a self-fulfilling prophecy in that it stops the bank run. Now, one thing I, I read ah. in uh, Arthur Hayes' article, though, is that um, that won't stop the arbitrage opportunity of things like like money markets, where if you have deposits in a bank and you're only receiving like you know a fraction of a percent of interest, you're going to want to go chase the higher interest um, payment on your dollar somewhere else. And so you there might be a bleed out of the banking system into like money market ETFs. And depositors aren't stupid over the long run, and of course they're not going to let the bank essentially. Uh, make money on them, and so they're going to withdraw. It wh where's the withdrawal coming from? I suppose if if ah, it's a great the, the confidence is so, still there. What they are counting on is amidst all this chaos that you wire money from one bank to another. You wire money to all the big banks. Only if you turn into Bitcoin are you outside the system. What's happening is all of the small banks, all the tech banks, all the think different banks are getting wrecked, and. The big guys are coming in as saviors with printed money from the Fed and ability from the Fed to just scoop up all the small banks. And the end state is in a panic. People are like, let me wire money to the saviors. Thank you, government, right? Which is both arsonist and firefighter, okay? So they set all these small banks on fire by destroying all of their balance sheets by giving them this directive to buy these bonds that they devalued. Again, whether intentional or emergent behavior doesn't actually matter. You can describe it as if it was intentional, even if it's emergent, you know, like an ant colony. Every individual ant isn't like, you know, sketching out a blueprint, but they're responding to local incentives, okay? So the, the net effect of this right now without the bit signal is all these small banks go to zero, your bank goes to zero, and uh, you, in a panic, wire your money to a big bank, and that's a trap. Now you're like, I'm, I'm with the federal government now. I'm in the too big to fail bank. Woo, crisis over. Thank you, Fed. The Fed's a hero. They saved the day, right? And now you're in some like, you know, 5%, you know, money market thing, or, or you're, you've locked it up in treasuries, or you're locked up just in a big bank. And here's the thing. Now, at the end, when all the small banks are dead, all the community banks are dead, all of the tech banks are dead, all of the crypto banks are dead, okay? And you've got only the big banks at the end of the banking crisis. Do you know the other thing that they chose to kind of like, you know, despite all of this, uh, you know, it's a very busy time for the Federal Reserve, but they managed to get out this press release. Did you see this? This is a press release saying Federal Press uh, Federal Reserve announces July launch for the FedNow service, right? Which is their uh, yeah, that's their CBDC. Yeah, their okay, so again, I'm not saying I don't know exactly. It's very hard to say how intentional versus how emergent it is. But the plan, if you're described as a plan, looks something like this: 
Um, the the U.S. has debts it can't pay. Uh, saddle all of the banks with these giant, um, you know, these these giant unpayable, like uh, these giant liabilities. Have tons of them go bust. Come in, swoop in as a hero, printing the money. So people are like, "Thank you, Fed. You got me my money back." And then also have them all centralized at the big banks in the process. And then amidst all the chaos, you've got like four banks in the U.S. and like one bank in Canada or whatever the number is in each place. And now you just roll out a CBDC and now the banks that were too big to fail are too big to escape. Okay, because they won't allow interconvertibility into crypto and all of the crazy China-style tracking can be applied. Moreover, everybody's probably going to be much poorer in 90 days after, I mean, to an extent that might be, you know, hard to describe, okay, but like if the the West actually does effectively default on the dollar um, and, you know, all of this stuff, which people have thought is worth a billion goes to zero, which is happening overnight, right? You saw, you know, First Republic, like equity zero, like you're taking a lot of billion dollar hits very fast, right? A lot of people are much poorer than they thought. And that has huge ripple effects, right? House payments, all kinds of payments don't go through. Huge ripple effects of the economy that we're just going to see. So in an environment of all the small banks are dead, all the money is at big banks, um, people are scared, the the CBDC is rolled out, and now you're locked in to a China-style system of massive centralization, and you you know it's too big to escape. Okay, and then they can do those things. You know the things that are like incentives, like oh, spend your money today or lose it. Have you seen stuff right, like that? For sure. Right, all the tracking and so on. Now again. <clears throat> Remember the 50 IQ, 100 IQ, 150 IQ mm-hmm. thing? If we don't have a lens into all of the actors that set up the bomb like this, okay? But basically, we do know what the exit is. Amidst all of this chaos, with all of these wires flying around all of these banks, you can do something they didn't expect you to do. You know what that is? You're saying buy crypto, buy Bitcoin. Buy Bitcoin. And the reason I say Bitcoin is, look, obviously, you know, I like you guys and I like it, but... If there's one thing, you know, if you have some relative or you have some, you know, friend who doesn't know, they'll say, what kind of Bitcoin should I buy? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, they, it, it just has name recognition in, and in an emergency, people are, you're not asking people to do portfolio optimization. Uh, do I think on the other side of this, I think Bitcoin is gold and I think Ethereum is the financial system. I think that's probably right because Ethereum can scale with, you know, lots of transactions. So, but, um, but I think also there's going to be jurisdictions that are so tired of finance that they will be like Bitcoin maximalist jurisdictions and they will just not want, I mean, if everything goes to zero and Bitcoin is the only thing that doesn't go to zero, you'll have like a lot of people become essentially overnight converted to Bitcoin maximalism. And that's why I remember a year or two ago, I said Bitcoin maximalism is the most important ideology in the world that nobody knows about. Do you guys remember yeah, I was yeah. saying something like mm-hmm. that? Right? Like you, you, <laughs> you guys, you're going to see what I mean. Okay. Um, because Bitcoin has the advantage of being, rel- I mean, it's obviously complicated with the cryptography and so on, but now it's relatively simple, okay? And in a time of crisis, people need something simple that they can all rally behind. That's why the bit signal, that one thing goes right. vertical, everybody in the space values it, we get to the lifeboat, okay? And the thing about it, and here's the important thing, the, the big difference with Bitcoin, as opposed to every single other action within the fiat system, is it's the thing that the Fed is not directly or indirectly a system administrator over. Okay, who has root? Do you see what I'm saying? Like any any entry in the Bank of Japan, if the Fed wants, they can get the Bank of Japan to 
just delete that, freeze that account, stop it, seize it, et cetera. They've got root over this. You know, like in the matrix, right? The guy's got the root system administrator, they've got root. So that entire US financial system, they have root access. Any stock, they can freeze. They did to the truckers, you know, the Canadian truckers, they did to the Russians, right? Anything where you are on their server and they have root, okay, they can monkey with it. And so from their perspective, you know what? Yeah, this is a huge mess with the money flying around and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's all just going to end up back at banks that they control. And so who cares? You know, it'll be like a time of chaos, but then we'll roll out the Fed now. We'll make sure that never happens again. We'll have total control over everything, okay? I don't know exactly what they're thinking, but that's the result. Unless you get to Bitcoin. So your theory... That is, that is, that is something they don't control. Bologi, to, to walk this through, your theory is all of the banks are underwater by a lot, and the bankers are lying about it effectively. And as Jean-Claude Juncker said, when it gets very serious, you have to okay. lie. As the bankers lied in 2008. And you, you right? think that- I, The reason is because people people are forgotten how much they lied. Go and ahead. bank runs are going to uh, continue, and they're going to be faster than ever because we are in this new digital era. And so we've seen you know First Republic, SVB, just like kind of drop to zero overnight. Uh, and you think that anywhere that someone- flees with their money, if you go from small regional community bank to larger US bank, it doesn't matter because you're still effectively inside of the Fed's system. You're in their prison. And so they're content to let you move from, you know, some uh, small community bank to JP Morgan to a money market. They don't really care because they have root access on all of these systems. Uh, and you're saying you're, you're making the case that the dollar, as a result of all of this money printing that is happening through this new form of quantitative easing, which is not called quantitative easing, it's, it's something else, but during the bank run, all of this money gets printed effectively, and that sends the dollar on a um, hyperinflation kind of track against all commodities, maybe, but more specifically maybe, but, but Bitcoin, because people are going to flee the banking system and they're going to park their assets into the only non-root access Fed uh, asset class that we have, which is crypto, and predominantly Bitcoin, because that has kind of the mind space for this narrative use case anyway. Is, the, is this the, the summary of the thesis? Yes. There's one thing I'd add, though, which is, is pretty good. One thing I'd add is I expect wage and price controls and so on. So um, prices on anything that the Fed has, like bread or whatever, they won't allow the price of bread to go to some crazy level. They'll impose price controls on it. So instead, you just get shortages. Or the price of this is what happened in the Soviet Union. The price was low, but the good just wasn't there. Okay, so you you know anything that um, anything where they can kind of hide the scarcity of it, right? And blame it on the store or whatever. Remember they were trying to say, oh my God, you greedy corporations for raising prices. Remember they were doing that. Okay. The only signal, the one honest signal in the world that they can't fully fake they, or is, is basically the desire to exit from the system. That's literally what this is. Can enough people get to the Bitcoin exit in time before they close the exits? So you are predicting That's they what will this close is. the exits then to Bitcoin yes. as well? Because they shut down Silvergate. They shut down, uh, you know, so Silvergate, SVB, First Republic, um, um, gosh, what's the uh, signature? Signature was murdered. It wasn't even right. So it's like fog of war, as Nick Carter talked about, right? Fog of war. Banks are dying. Boom, kill this one, right? And uh, these some of these banks died by bank runs that the Fed itself caused. Some of them were just pulled from licenses. But you just have it happen all at the same time, so it's chaos and people can't figure it out when they're outside. Okay, 
you know, if they're bailing out all of the U.S. banks and all of the foreign banks who are connected to the Federal Reserve System at the same time, um, it's it's clearly a banking crisis, right? Hopefully, I mean, that people are no longer denying that. That's a banking crisis. And what is the effect of that banking crisis? Well, there's basically two possible outcomes. The first is everybody trusts the banks, and at the end of the day, they wire to the banks. What's the name of this podcast? You know it, bankless. Bankless. And the literal nature of that, I think, is going to actually surprise even us. <laughs> okay? Because a lot of fiat banks will either go to zero or will become like Venus flytraps. And if you are, if you put, now, you, you may need some fiat to pay the bills. I recognize that, okay? Because who knows exactly when and how all this stuff comes about, all right? I totally recognize that. But- Having at least some of your, like a good chunk of your net worth, whatever that means to you, in Bitcoin held locally, you will have the strongest technological and social defense on it worldwide. Because both matter. And you know why the social defense matters? What do you mean by social defense, by the way? Yeah, that's very important. So technological defense is encryption, right? Social defense is, is your jurisdiction going to allow you to hold Bitcoin? Right. So mm. there was, uh, in the 1930s, an executive order, uh, 6102, which was ba- effectively a gold ban on U.S. citizens' private ownership, right? That's what you mean by, uh, you know, social uh, guarantees. The holders of gold were called things like hoarders, mm-hmm. uh, for example, that it was just um, socially uncooperative and socially unproductive and, like, evil, maybe, for people to hoard away and, and store their wealth, to exit the system, if you will, and to have gold bars around your house. Um, you know, we don't have to talk about the, the, the U.S. If, if you don't want to, but could you imagine this sort of scenario playing out in jurisdictions uh, ac- across the world? Well, let's just say this, okay? In the event, so right now what we're on pace for is before the fire alarm, okay, before ring the fire alarm, we were on pace for dollar holders becoming bag holders. Okay, a stealth digital dollar devaluation masked as bailouts, whether again, whether it's intentional or emergent doesn't matter. But essentially, you would get all this printed money in your fright, you'd run to the big banks, you'd wire all the money there, you'd be locked in and uh, centralized, and it'd be this CBDC issued with this currency that was worthless against bread or whatever. Uh, or, or the prices were kept low, but the bread wasn't there. So either it's hyper, you know, serious inflation or, or shortages. Um, and by the way, one thing to keep in mind, this is a very important thing. People are like, well, come on, dude, like 2008, it was bad, but it wasn't the end of the world, blah, blah, right? Well, the thing is, people know that uh, the American taxpayer bailed out the banks, right? But what they don't know is actually the world bailed out America. You know why? The U.S. exported its inflation. Okay. And so the thing is, when you can, if you can, there's two ways of robbing somebody. The first way of robbing them is gun to their face. They know they're being robbed and so on. Okay. The second way, which is much more effective, is silent robbery, where you're even telling them that you're doing them a favor or something like this. Egyptians have tasted the bread of liberty, right? People literally set themselves on fire because food prices were so high. Okay. You know who it was the end of the world for? All of those previously stable countries in like Libya and Tunisia and so on that were just, basically set on fire by inflation, okay, in the early 2000s. The Arab Spring wasn't just some, that, that was just absolute pandemonium and chaos 
caused by essentially, okay, those people get to pay for the financial crisis. But it was so complicated and the, the, it was so indirect that everybody can deny that that's actually what happened, okay? Um, because think about how many transactions are. It's not on a blockchain. You can't look at it. You can't prove that that happened exactly in that way. You can point at some correlational numbers and so on. But you can look at food prices spike after this printing, okay? And you can ask, okay, where did the inflation go? It got shunted. And before 2008, okay, this is the key chart. Before 2008, Republicans and Democrats were roughly equal, okay? The real GDP, they were roughly equally matched. Mm. Afterwards, what happens? There's a shift. Somehow, all the Democrats become much richer on average than all the Republican districts. So Republicans were taxed by inflation to pay for the financial crisis. So Cantillon effect is who gets the printed money first wins. In 2008, the Democrats effectively taxed the Republicans and the foreign dollar holders to um, pay for the bailout. That's, that's fundamentally what happened, okay? And the foreign dollar holders, they got, um, you know, either directly or indirectly, they had riots and chaos in the Arab Spring, and the domestic ones were impoverished. So it is not that 2008 just was okay. It's that it was shunted, the cost of that was shunted to the invisible. Does that make sense, right? Mm -hmm. Basically, in a sense, the most powerless person is the one without a voice who cannot complain or understand what is happening to them. Uniswap is the largest on-chain marketplace for self-custody digital assets. Uniswap is, of course, a decentralized exchange, but you know this because you've been listening to Bankless. But did you know that the Uniswap web app has a shiny new fiat on-ramp? Now you can go directly from fiat in your bank to tokens in DeFi inside of Uniswap. Not only that, but Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism Layer 2s are supported right out of the gate. But that's just DeFi. Uniswap is also an NFT aggregator, letting you find more listings for the best prices across the NFT world. With Uniswap, you can sweep floors on multiple NFTs, and Uniswap's universal router will optimize your gas fees for you. Uniswap is making it as easy as possible to go from bank account to bankless assets across Ethereum. And we couldn't be more thankful for having them as a sponsor. So go to app.uniswap.org today to buy, sell, or swap tokens and NFTs. The Phantom Wallet is coming to Ethereum. The number one wallet on Solana is bringing its millions of users and beloved UX to Ethereum and Polygon. If you haven't used Phantom before, you've been missing out. Phantom was one of the first wallets to pioneer Solana staking inside the wallet and will be offering similar staking features for Ethereum and Polygon. But that's just staking. Phantom is also the best home for your NFTs. Phantom has a complete set of features to optimize your NFT experience. Pin your favorites, hide your uglies, burn the spam, and also manage your NFT sale listings from inside the wallet. Phantom is of course a multi-chain wallet, but it makes chain management easy, displaying your transactions in a human readable format with automatic warnings for malicious transactions or phishing websites. Phantom has already saved over 20,000 users from getting scammed or hacked. So get on the Phantom waitlist and be one of the first to access the multi-chain beta. There's a link in the show notes, or you can go to phantom.app waitlist to get access in late February.
Hey Bankless Nation, if you're listening to this, it's because you're on the free Bankless RSS feed. Did you know that there's an ad-free version of Bankless that comes with the Bankless Premium subscription? No ads, just straight to the content. But that's just one of many things that a premium subscription gets you. There's also the Token Report, a monthly bullish, bearish, neutral report on the hottest tokens of the month. And the regular updates from the Token Report go into the Token Bible, your first stop shop for every token worth investigating in crypto. Bankless Premium also gets you a 30% discount to the Permissionless Conference, which means it basically just pays for itself. There's also the airdrop guide to make sure you don't miss a drop in 2023. But really, the best part about Bankless Premium is hanging out with me, Ryan, and the rest of the Bankless team in the Inner Circle Discord only for premium members. Want the alpha? Check out Ben the Analyst's DGen pit, where you can ask him questions about the token report. Got a question? I've got my own Q&A room for any questions that you might have. At Bankless, we have huge things planned for 2023, including a new website with login with your Ethereum address capabilities, and we're super excited to ship what we are calling Bankless 2.0 soon TM. So if you want extra help exploring the frontier, subscribe to Bankless Premium. It's under 50 cents a day and provides a wealth of knowledge and support on your journey west. I'll see you in the Discord. We are looking at the the visually visualizing the purchasing power of the dollar of the last century. So. Uh, we're looking at a uh, steep decline down from 1917 until 2019. This is silent theft. Okay. It is framed as if it's good for you to take away all of your money because, oh, a little bit of inflation is good. Okay. And fundamentally, by the way, this is where Bitcoin rejects this foundational concept. That is to say, uh, the traditional macroeconomics view is, yeah, hyperinflation is bad, but deflation is also bad. We wouldn't want prices to go down. We want a little mild inflation, 2% target or whatever each year, right? And whereas the Bitcoin view is hyperinflation is of course a catastrophe, but inflation is also just a, a slow motion catastrophe. Deflation and even hyperdeflation are good if they're caused by technology. Meaning, uh, for example, with Moore's law, the price of a transistor I mean, it's not exactly this transistor density doubles every every 18 months. Right? That's a technical difference. But let's just say the price of computing, you know, drops in half every 18 months as, as an approximate version, right? That's hyperdeflation. The cost of something is dropping rapidly. And the traditional macro theory would say when deflation happens, people hoard, they don't buy because of price, right? Except with hyperdeflation of computers, even though they keep getting cheaper very fast, we buy a lot of them. It's a crucial part of the modern world, Right. So the macroeconomic theory that hyperdeflation is bad, they don't even think hyperdeflation exists, by the way, but the macroeconomic theory of deflation and hyperdeflation being bad is not actually with the reality. The reality is when you use technology to reduce the cost of something, that's actually good, okay? This fundamental thing is that, that you know, one way to think about it is American Keynesianism is bad, just like Soviet economics was bad. It's just slightly less bad, but we don't realize that it's actually also bad. Do you see what I'm saying? It's mm -hmm. also it's, fake yeah. and what have you. It's go ahead. It's the lesser lesser of two evils, right? And and the way that that I think that what you're saying, Balaji, is like the Bitcoin the, the Bitcoin meme between Ethereum and why you're saying like, oh, I like you guys is because like obviously me and Ryan are known to be uh, Ethereum leaning. But I've always been of the mindset that it's Bitcoin during times of war and Ethereum during times of peace. And I think the crisis that That's you right. are suggesting is that we are in wartime right now. This is this is a crisis right. moment where uh, there, there is a, a flight. And so this is not a time to be thinking about innovation and layer twos. This is a time to be thinking about safety, simplicity, redundancy, because this is a crisis moment. 
that's exactly right. That is exactly right, David. And you know, that's why I, I tweeted something like, "Look, I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist, but we are all Bitcoin maximalists now." Like, you know, you know, in Indian mythology, like you know, the third eye, right? Like, imagine like the third laser eye, you know, kind of opening. You know, that's literally what what I'm talking about. Okay, <laughs> um, we are truly in wartime mode, and there's a digital fire burning that not everybody can see yet, right? That's why I put up the fire alarm, okay? When I did that, people are still watching TikTok or whatever. If you go back and look at the tweets around that time, and now the entire world was talking about, wait, could the dollar hyperinflate against me? They started to actually, you know, whether they yelled at me or not, okay? I Before I rang the fire alarm, and by the way, I did it with the bit signal first before taking the bet. The bet was just got even more people's attention because it's a very specific kind of thing, right? Bit signal got a lot of attention in its own right. The point, was not to get attention for its own sake. The point was to get attention to get to the lifeboat because the final digital devaluation of the dollar is coming. And did I show you the chart of the hyperinflations, how how quickly that can happen, right? And we, we just went through a bunch of graphs. We we're like, First Republic, which went to zero like this, right? Signature to zero. They they just shut it down like over a weekend. Um, the the bank printing went to 150 billion dollars, you know, in in a few days, like like over the weekend. And, and David, I'm so glad that you get that right. That in wartime Bitcoin, because Bitcoin will be protected by enough governments. Bitcoin is well understood, and that will be a fundamental cleavage in the world, which is um, it's going to be. Are they like uh, you know atheist, monotheist, polytheist, right? You know yeah. the concept. Okay. So in, in the network state book, I have this concept of God, state, and network, okay? And you remember what we were talking about that, you know? And mm -hmm. uh, and the question is, what is your mental model of the world as the most powerful force? Is it almighty God? Is it the US military, which is, you know, the state, right? Or the Chinese military? Or is it encryption, right? God, state, network. And then from that, you can, you can actually have, obviously you have combinations of stuff. I talk about that in the book. But from that, you could have, like an atheist, monotheist, polytheist. So for example, on the God Leviathan, right? Atheist doesn't believe in God. The monotheist is like Christian, Muslim, you know, Jewish, etc. The polytheist is like a Hindu, believes in multiple gods, right? Okay, now with the state, you have the atheist, doesn't believe in a state, they're like an anarchist, okay? Um, monotheist, uh, monostatist, that's like a, an advocate for empire, like a Chinese nationalist or, you know, like a dollar nationalist. That's what's going to, I think, going to come. Um. And then um, the third is you have um, uh, you have a, a polystatus, like a digital nomad. They hop between states, okay. And then with coins, you have a no coiner, okay, like fiat only, okay. They hate coins, okay. A monocoiner, like a maximalist, Bitcoin maximalist. And then you have a polycoiner, which is me in normal times, okay. But in wartime. Um, we have to just focus all of our energy behind something, and it's not a portfolio strategy thing. It is. Uh, it's not even. And this is very important. It's like people just don't get it yet. This is not the make money time because everybody's going to be a lot poorer soon, unfortunately. Okay. Um, the the actual devaluation of the dollar means the entire party that we lived in, where things we were all much richer than we think, right? That's about to come to an end. And exactly how much poorer we are, I don't know. But like you know, America is a new Argentina is not a bad mental model, in my view, right? Do you, know, do you know how, do you know what Argentina was? Or, I mean, it obviously still exists, but the rich country that became poor? 
Yeah, it, it, the Argentine agricultural uh, industry is amazing, but then just corruption set in, government mismanagement of money at all, just it broke an entire, very, what was once a very rich country, and it just hyperinflation and government corruption just broke it all. If you're really, 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 really bad at capital allocation, a rich country will become poor. You're saying the time has come where like we kicked the can down the road, but then it fell off the cliff. Uh, exactly. Because the sidewalk ends here. Bankruptcy, bankruptcy happens gradually and then suddenly. Mm -hmm. And so now the question is, the dollar holder is the bag holder, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, now the fire alarm has been rung. It used to, it would have been without the fire alarm. <clears throat> everybody would have just been hit by this digital Pearl Harbor, right? right? Because the whole thing, you know, like FTX, assets are fine. Don't worry, et cetera, et cetera. Boom, Venus flytrap, you're done, right? Because you, you didn't get your money out in time, right? So Uncle Sam Bankman-Fried is saying assets are fine, et cetera. And if you have, and by the way, it's not just a dollar, by the way. It's basically any fiat currency that is controlled by the US or really by China, okay? Because that's the other sector. I'll come to China, right? Any fiat currency, if you saw that thing where it's like, um, I mean, I'll clarify because I think there are like uh, the Saudis or there's, there are countries that have fiat currencies that the US uh, does not control, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, India and whatnot, those may, um, those will probably, in my view, after this crisis, eventually be gold or digital gold backed. Okay. So that combination of gold plus digital gold, gold will be like a state to state thing where, you know, like states will be able to trade that amongst themselves and it'll be very ritualized and, and infrequent. Okay. Um, but it'll happen. But then digital gold will become important. And so literally you'll need gold and or digital gold to back your currency. It will kind of go back to the 19th century after this fiat crisis. Uh, and all the stuff that we've talked about kind of in, in crypto, it'll just like happen very, very fast. A particularly extreme version of when I talk about like absolutely insane inability to allocate resources is, um, is this. 20 years to build a bathroom. They held a ribbon cutting ceremony at a press conference. And the photo just tells it all. That's a California state senator and a bunch of people there with a press conference cutting a toilet paper to open a single stall bathroom. Balaji, do you um, uh, subscribe to the whole fourth turning idea? Yes. I, uh, I, I, yeah, this is, this is just kind of feels very fourth turning. It's very fourth turning. Well, so the idea of the fourth turning is that there's like these four cycles of generations and they all relate to each other. But the gist of it, to put it very, very reductively, is like the whole meme of um, good times make weak men and weak men make bad times. Uh, and I think yeah. the point that you're trying to make with a bunch of just of our, our leaders, our, our government leaders who are me mocking to cut toilet paper with their fingers to announce the launch of a single stall public bathroom <laughs> is a bunch of uh, perhaps weak men who are about to create some bad times because we are misallocating our funds. Uh, and then the downstream net effect of this is that we, you know, make bad financial capital allocation choices. Uh, but then we try and cover it up because we are weak men not taking responsibility. Uh, and we can do that for so only so long. And this is also highly actually related to uh, Ray Dalio's whole entire um, uh, idea of macro power cycles. Um, and so a, a lot of this is all kind of like lining up. And I, th and I definitely see the point. Uh, and this, all of this is what you're saying is like, it, you, like you said at the beginning, this isn't necessarily your bet 
which is how this whole thing got started. Your bet that Bitcoin hits $1 million inside of 90 days isn't a bet about Bitcoin. It's a bet about the devaluation of the dollar. Yes. And, and also you said at the very beginning is like, there's only two real banks. There's the Federal Reserve and there's Bitcoin. That's and right. I actually also 100% Bingo. take That's the such point a good quote. that like- That's such a good quote. That's great. Yeah. Great. Do you trust And there, you there, trust I'll also take the point Satoshi? that just like, it's not about Ethereum and all of its uh, smart contracts or all of that, all that cool stuff. It's all about just like, people are going to run and they're going to flee and they're not going to think too critically about where they're going. They're going to see collapsing banks. And this is a function of your average Joe or your average money manager and like, oh, banks are collapsing and I kind of see the devaluation of the dollar. What is my inert spinal reflex? Bitcoin. It's Bitcoin. That's my spinal reflex. That's where I'm going to run to. And I think that's really the punchline that you're, you're kind of like leading up to, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It is the shelling point, right? You know, basically, mm-hmm. do you know the concept of the shelling point? It's like coordinating without coordinating, right? Right. Yep. For example, yeah, yeah. if, uh, right, so you tell people, hey, uh, meet me in New York City, right? And right. Uh, there's various shelling points people can come up with. But most, many people will say, okay, I'll meet in front of the Empire State Building. Because mm. Statue of Liberty, they might say, but that's like kind of an islandish thing. Or Too hard to you get might to. say the clock yeah. in Times Square. I was going to say right? the Times Square. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. So it's not a perfect example, but it is the concept. Of, or let's say you need to meet in London. Where's it going to be? Big Ben. Right? So that's a better example. Um, mm-hmm. San Francisco will be Golden Gate Bridge. Right? That's like the iconic right. landmark, you know? Right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, the shelling point is how people coordinate without coordinating based on their prior information. And that's what Bitcoin is, right? It is mm-hmm. it is basically the thing that everybody in our space respects. Every crypto exchange supports. It has social defense. It has uh, you know, I'm not saying I'm not saying we will win. I'm there's gonna be some serious attacks, but I'm saying we might be able to win, right? The question is whether the currency of the people, by the people, for the people. <laughs> Will not perish from this earth, and I know that sounds crazy right now, okay? Um, but but that's what this one is about, because um, the thing about Bitcoin is it can't be seized with the key press, right? Okay, it means that all of that stealth seizure that was happening there, um, you know, that's just like hitting buttons on a key, and you know, you know, okay, there's a billion dollars here, but. All of that can't happen anymore because it's outside the system. It's escaped the system. It's literally exited the matrix, right? Uh, and uh, and then <laughs> some interesting things are going to happen. Um, and so people need to sort of be just locked on philosophically. I mean, the the fun, the interesting about this, I was going to write an article. Actually, I'm in the middle of writing it, which is that Bitcoin maximalists are best positioned, like mentally, for what's about to happen, in my view. And it's going to be fast, even for them. Okay. Mm. Um. Hyper-Bitcoinization refers to not simply the, it is the collapse of all fiat currencies against Bitcoin. Okay. It is a gigantic mm-hmm. global, quote, redistribution of wealth in a sense, but it's, a, it's basically like all of the bills of all of the people that have run Keynesian micro- macroeconomics because they kicked the can, kicked the can, kicked the can. They didn't have, you know, at least the British, they gradually handed it over to the next people, Right. They gradually handed it over to the Americans. But the internet is what comes, the internet is the next America. I would like to see how this maps into your your understanding. And so this is a, a Martin Koppelman saying, detect the pattern. And we've got a bunch of two different kinds of banks, uh, United States banks and Chinese banks, 
all the Chinese banks are up and to the right. All the American banks are down into the down into the yeah. right. How does this map into you, to what you're talking about here? So some people are probably moving deposits. See, what the Fed has now signaled is that the and actually wait, best I can show. Do you see Moody? Moody has downgraded the entire U.S. banking system. Okay, mm-hmm. the banking system is negative. Okay. You know how like San Francisco, it's, remember I used to say like the ascending world and, and not used to say, I still say, ascend, it's not about first world or third world, it's the ascending world and the descending world, right? You know, and if you've been to San Francisco, mm-hmm. it's not an ascending world place, it's a descending world place. It's a, you know, there's, it's poop in the streets and needles and vi- it's like worse than it was 10, 20 years ago, whereas India is ascending world, right? The US banking system outlook is negative. Here's the thing, Powell has turned America into Argentina. The series of bank runs and currency crises and printing and so on that's about to begin means you you will obviously have to have some money in the U.S. banking system to pay your bills for you know whatever so long as this crisis goes on. Okay, however, people are going to learn that you cannot trust the state. You can't trust the U.S. state. It's like a South American you know corrupt government, but but at, at massive scale, right? So a ton of people are going to lose faith in the centralized state all at once when the money is gone. And um, if you look at the the other tweet I sent, many fiat banks are dead. Many more are going to die, all because of the Fed, because Powell ain't Satoshi. And the U.S. is run by heirs who wrecked institutions they inherited, including the accounts of dollar holders. And after the Fed kills its own banks, will you want your money in a U.S. bank, in a system with insane bank runs where regulators deceive depositors? Powell made America Argentina. So the internet is a new America. All the next banks are crypto. Where one BTC equals one BTC, the new reserve currency of the world. What's what's hard to believe about this, though, apology is like this is uh, this is quite the statement that it, it happens now and that it happens so fast. Yep. Right? Like that's the part I can't wrap my head around. I mean, obviously, from, I from the inception of Bankless and and a lot of people are in this crypto journey because we see what's going on in the background. But the idea that all of this could happen over the next ninety days—that's the part that's boggling to me like i always expected this to be sort of a decades long <laughs> play here and now <laughs> but you're saying it's here and like what what is your certainty that this is the fire alarm that this is actually happening now like would you give is it it can't be 100 percent confidence is it in the in the 90 percent zone i don't know but i'm going to show you just just to re you know a bunch of digital graphs okay so here's with very relatively little forewarning, okay? There is some warning. And if you go back to December 2022, they're like, you know, banks are going back to the discount window again. It's not something they were doing for a while. And it's because the ones that had bought these bonds or whatever were like, uh, I need some money. You guys crushed me. You know, can you give me some money? Or, you know, I don't know what all the reasons were, right? But um, here's another one where you had some warning and then it's digital, right? Okay. Here's another yeah, you had some warning there's decline, and then it's digital at the end. You see what I'm saying? Mm. Right? By, by digital, you mean like it's gone and it's, it's gone. Absorbed into it's it's analog up until the end, and then you I enter see. the digital age. Digital death. Right? Mm-hmm. It's continuous, and then it's discrete. It's an analog curve, and then just sudden death. It's not like a gradual decline all the way to the end. Okay. You see my you see my point on these? These this is like these are not there's not graphs I see, I'm making. I see up. it can happen. It's just so hard to fathom that it happens to the Fed, that it happens to the dollar, that it happens to the United States of America. <laughs> 
I know. Well, I think really the point here is that this has been the the long term vision of this has been predicted by the Bitcoiners, um, uh, and I think even Bology is saying that like the Bitcoin is happening so fast it's going to actually boggle the Bitcoiners' minds. And like, of course, like humans aren't supposed to. We're not really used to being able to think in these terms. Humans don't think in exponential terms, uh, and so to th to think that if this idea about that Bology is presenting here is correct. Uh, if that's true, like we are about to enter a phase change that is uh, also accelerated by technology, like we're already watching that with the bank runs. Uh, and so it's not only not only is it one of these times where like decades happens inside of weeks, but we've also never had one of those moments of history exactly. where decade a decade happens in weeks with all of the technology that we have. Yeah, so it's it's this is like World War One or something like that. When you, people mm -hmm. were entering World War One, they were starting it. Uh, first of all, by the way, let me show you that there is some forewarning. Okay, so take a look at the next link I sent you. So since inception, the U.S. dollar, the smart money has been voting against the dollar and entering Bitcoin. This has been a joke chart, but it's actually a really important chart. You have had forewarning that the mm -hmm. dollar is going to zero against Bitcoin. For 13 years, it's actually just like some of those other charts where it was like continuous, you know, and then it was discrete. I, I think yeah. part of the troubling thing here is like if what you're saying is correct, though, right? So Bitcoin appreciates, but like, isn't that the end of the United States? I mean, if if the dollar hyperinflates, we're in for real bad times in yes. The U.S. and I, I guess I might say Western liberal democracies as a whole, and so that is hard medicine to swallow as well. If that's what you're I prescribing, I know. I know. So here's the thing. So again, I'm, I'm not sure what to say because the problem is, if I tell you what my world model is, <laughs> so the the thing is, I you know, there's people who are like, oh no, no you can't ever panic people. You know, alarm. I'm like, look. I'm not, I never actually call for quote panic. I, what I call for is understanding the severity of the situation and taking, um, calm, conscious steps to ensure yourself against it. Okay. You know, I actually did a good job. I'm very gl glad that Dalio published his book, right? Principles. Do you remember this came out last year? Yeah, it was great. Right. So big devaluations are abrupt and episodic rather than evolutionary. The six major mm -hmm. currency transitions that have happened before have just been like, once the alternative appears, the old one just kind of disappears. And we've kind of felt that the US has been running on reruns, right? Marvel movies over and over again. We've got 70-year-old Fed chair and Trump and Biden and so on, where people are still like, we're fine, the communist Chinese, you know, like they're still like in this kind of 1980s Cold War war. Even, um, and, and you know, I'm just kind of making, I have nothing against Southerners. I, you know, I like that, but I'm just saying like, or it's like, oh my God, we're, we're standing up for, you know, this and that. And and people, people are just kind of running their old scripts where, uh, you know, and they're great, perhaps the best example of this is, um, what Powell is doing is the 1980s formula of Paul Volcker hiking rates, and he thinks that it's that's the same move at the same um, that the same thing that worked 40 years ago he can just kind of do today and it'll work in exactly the same way. And the state of the world is different, right? So by running those old scripts that don't don't work anymore, you lose. And one way of thinking about it is like on the eve of World War One, right? In like 1913, like that was a world of kings and princes and horses and so on. The restrained tension on this world 
because of the new clanking machines and the industrialization. All of this stuff was, you know, something which there was obviously tech pressure on it. You had um, you had these social movements, you had people who wanted the vote, you had communists, you had all these different things clanking and straining against this, right? And then, you know, there was a catalyst of, you know, a few things. There's World War One. there was, um, and just like modernity roared into being like, you know, like a, when something is born, it's like got blood all over it and so on, right? It wasn't, I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying though that like, you know, people started World War One, for example, with horses and, uh, and they certainly didn't end it with that, right? The thing is that the future can't actually, you know, it's saying the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed, right? If you go to that mm -hmm. next photo, the, the other one I sent you, right? All those kings, it's kind of like all of these heads of fiat states. And I'm not saying they all go to zero, right? But those that trusted the Fed and that don't have, um, you know, either natural resources, gold, manufacturing or digital gold or something like that to back their fiat currency will probably be in trouble after the fiat crisis. I know that sounds like if you take the full implications of what I'm just saying there, that's actually a pretty big thing. Okay. But a lot of these states that trusted the Fed after the fiat crisis, the money is gone. This has been a lot, Apology, and I, I'm sure you found like felt the full weight of the things that you're saying over the last few days. Um, you know, uh, also on your shoulders, because if this does come to pass, we will wake up in an entirely new world. Uh, yes. In whatever time frame, whether that's 90 days or, or it takes I don't longer. know the exact time frame. Exactly. I don't know the exact time frame. I'm just ringing the fire alarm to try to get people to realize the scale of the change that's about to unfold. And you feel the same way, a similar way as you felt to COVID in January of 2020, when you yes. rang the fire alarm for COVID and you're saying, Bank crisis is imminent. This is not just a regular bank crisis. This is the fiat bank crisis and the fall of the US dollar. So prepare yourselves, get to hard digital assets as soon as you can. And for you, that means Bitcoin. That's what you're saying. I'm saying that. I'm also saying, um, basically there's four options you can take. Okay. And people are going to choose one of these four options. The first is Trust the U.S. banks, trust the U.S. media, just like 2008, all the other crises, there's always a crisis, who cares, I'm going to go back to just TikTok or whatever, okay? A lot of people do that. Number two is, okay, I actually am seeing that there are something serious going on. This is now something which is like user tangible, like a bank run is user tangible. All the other stuff was just sort of like an enterprise thing, you know? Uh, what I mean by that is, it was just banks that had liabilities to other banks. It was on balance sheets in the back end somewhere, and they could work it out amongst themselves. And it, there wasn't an impact on you, the end user. Do you know what I'm saying? Right? I don't recall, at least, I don't know if you recall, I don't remember bank runs during the financial crisis. Right? Okay. So depositors were taken care of or whatever. Then it was just like a, you know, moving funds around. It was all made invisible. Okay. Now, so number two is if it's exploded on you, you're at SVB or something, you cannot ignore it. The money is gone. Right? And so actually, a lot of people, they did is actually wired money now. You know where they're trusting more than the U.S. banking system? A lot of people wired money back to India, okay? They're getting out of the U.S. banking system. Maybe that's what that graph is on China or something like that. Because the U.S. banking system, people were literally calling it, and let me speak to this for a second. They're like, oh my God, it's a bailout to want your checking account back. Now, that's just actually a true inversion of what happened, and here's why. If you go to Mogadishu and you know, like people tell you not to go and, and then you ask for like a helicopter airlift out, okay? That's a bailout. You took a high-risk activity. It's atypical. You're making other people risk their lives to get you out. That's a bailout, okay? If you walk down the street 
and you're attacked by somebody and you're like, call for the police, that's a paid for. That was a low risk activity you took. And this police protection is part of your budget, your subscriber budget as a citizen. You paid for that. Okay. Similarly, if you make a high risk investment that nobody told you to make or whatever, um, and you want your money back, that's a bailout. Okay. If you're operating a business checking account and you're just literally just doing, you know, by law required to keep your money in a bank and so on with a, you know, 200 billion, uh, you have some expectation that these federal regulators that you paid for would give you some hint that the not just your bank, but all the banks are insolvent, especially when they knew it for months and years beforehand. Okay. And so what actually happened is you paid for all the regulation and got none of the protection. It's a narco tyranny. It's just like in San Francisco, right? You pay for the police. But the only thing they do is issue parking tickets. They don't stop a crazy guy from like smashing your window. Okay. If you're like an Uber driver in San Francisco, you get the tyranny of the whatever $100 parking ticket for being on the side of the road. But then you have the anarchy of the guy who smashes your window and nothing happens to him. Okay. So the same way we are going to have an arc of tyranny, but for banking, we have the tyranny of assets frozen, funds seized, a CBDC, potentially price controls, serious inflation, and so on. Um, but the anarchy of the money can be gone and it's your fault because you're supposed to read uh, the the statement and find that it hid in a footnote their $80 billion loss that makes a bank insolvent. That's not that's not practically regulation. That's not consumer protection. That is a third world country. You see what I'm saying? That is a corrupt regime that has betrayed its citizens. And the full scope of what that betrayal means, see, most people won't be able to process that, okay? Some people will because they've got, because what it is, it's like their God has died. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, like to truly think of the US state as betraying you to that extent, not just like making an error or something like that, but something where the banking system has lost all the money of all the people, right? To like an error of that extent is something which just crashes people's operating system. And then what's going to happen is one of two things or a few things, right? First is uh, they're living, in, they're foreigners and um, they're in a place with a functional government. Like I have, I hope that India, Israel can stand up to be the leaders of the free world and what is to follow. Okay. Second is they're in a place like, you know, Russia or China. And if like, you know, what I'm saying is actually what's happened, if the money is gone and this is like that final crisis, okay, then you have to assume that all kinds of troops get pulled back. Ukraine, that just stops happening. Russia and China, which were kind of in a, in a box before and they were getting, they were getting sanctions put on them and all this stuff, that just ten, stress tension loosens and you have this just unleashed Russian bear and, you know, the Chinese dragon are just like roar, okay, because they're let out of their cage. Um, I mean, you know, could it be that like uh, Taiwan is captured without a shot and TSMC, now the sanctions are on the West? You know, quite possible, very possible that if, if, and the only thing is, by the way, the fundamental premise, all of this is just like with Corona, right? I only had one premise and that premise was this is going exponential. We're going to have millions of people infected and a lot of people are going to die. And nobody understands this now because they're not actually calculating out that. From that, and only from that, I had a rubber band tension model of the world and I was figuring out what things you know, you know, would, would move on that. Okay, 
it wasn't a perfect, you know, there, there are things I got wrong or whatever. You know, I thought full face mask covering would be there. But I do want to show you this, which is... This is Max Roser tweeting your original uh, COVID tweet saying, the world has changed so much in just the ways Bology predicted. It might be almost hard to appreciate how prescient this thread was when he wrote it at a time when nothing had changed yet one year ago today. Is that what you anticipate people tweeting about your original Bitcoin BitSignal tweet one year from now? I hope not. Yeah, I also hope not for the record. But I think <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, but um, like, you know, I, I should probably tweet that. I should say, this is a bet I hope I won't win in a sense, right? Yeah, I think um, from I don't people know who exactly are paying attention that, to your tweet and your, and your gamble apology, uh, I think that would actually go a long way because like kind of we said in the intros, like some people are just thinking like, oh, he's... He, it's profitable for him to make this trade by tweeting this or something like that. I, I, I think people or are else he wants to, to watch Bitcoin the trade. world burn something like something right. like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, Balaji, this I has think, been um, very, very uh, scary, if not informative. Yeah, and hopefully, I've given you enough links to give you a sense of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is not just. You know, me coming up with stuff. I don't know. There's like 50 or 60 references or what have you, right? I've, I have mm -hmm. a role model here, which might be wrong, but that shows that this financial crisis is actually a very extreme one. It, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get, leave you with one last thing, which is, uh, you know, the Ray Dalio principles for the changing world order. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's right. So this, um, the, the video of it uh, is, um, yeah, you're right. There are two separate books. Uh, the video of it, is really good to watch. And the thing is, Dalio did something very smart with this video. He got the concepts across with cartoons. Mm -hmm. And with the cartoons, you can kind of process it without realizing how serious what he's talking about is. The collapse of empires, right? Lots of people fighting. No money, right? Um, you know, with the cartoons, you can process it but then you have to like apply it. That's a key thing because there's something about it where, you know, history is like, we're on like a cycle because people live and die and so on. Right. Um, and the thing about this is here's the one thing that Dalio doesn't get. Okay. And he's a really smart guy. He gets politics and he gets finance, right. And he gets history, but he doesn't get technology. And so what he doesn't see is that there's actually another force that is as big as China that hopefully becomes the leader of the free world in the aftermath, and that is technology. I think we, Ryan and I have also shared our yeah. uh, critiques of, of Ray Dalio is that like everything uh, that his whole patterns and cycles throughout history is all spot on, but he just misses the next phase change as a result to crypto. Uh, I think he started to get it, but I don't really know how complete his understanding is about all of this. Um, well, he's, he's partially, he's right about one thing, which is if we don't have a critical mass of people in the free world get out to Bitcoin, then China is number one after this. And they're out of mm -hmm. their cage because those the money going to China is like, well, China's the stable system. China gives you stability. Right, it doesn't give you the chaos of the U.S. It also gives you totalitarian control of the CBDC, but at least it's a stable version. Unfortunately, a lot of people will go for that. And, and you know, the thing about this, by the way, I talked about this in the Network State book between American anarchy and Chinese control. Right, um, we want the decentralized center. 
right? We want to have the free world. And really, like, this is the moment. So, you know, take everything you guys have said seriously over the last five years, everything, you've got all the concepts, okay? And help your guys go bankless. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, Balaji, we're going to end it there. This has been very sure. helpful to walk through your brain and, and to kind of understand all of the pieces that you've put together here recently. And uh, we'll, we'll certainly be having someone on to do the counterpoint to um, you know talk about reasons why um, this might not come to pass or might not come to pass so soon. But uh, we really wanted to unpack your brain here today. And certainly, uh, like if what happens comes to pass, it will be... It, it, it will be absolutely world-changing. The biggest event of our, our lifetime, and I don't think any bankless listener will be fully prepared for it. So it's worth taking a moment to understand and dissect Balaji's arguments, to look through the references and links that we put forth in this episode, and do your own research, and uh, you know come to your own conclusion on this, and to do it fast. Uh, I think if, if things collapse in the expedient way, that Balaji is, is predicting, you may not have much time to put the pieces together in the aftermath of this. Uh, Balaji, thank you so much for coming on Bankless once again. We appreciate you. Thanks. And I'll say one last thing, which is even if what you think I'm saying is crazy, hopefully it will be something that now you've been exposed to at least once. And as you see events unfold, you might think, okay, some percentage of that might be correct and then take action, if that makes any sense. So it's like a retargeting of some kind, right? You have a different frame or lens to, to view events, just like that original Corona thread where people might've thought it was crazy and then they had the lens to view events. So anyway, all right, guys, get your, get your coins, get your Bitcoin, get your coins off exchanges, get to a crypto-friendly jurisdiction if you can. There it is. That is the alarm. Risks and disclaimers, guys. Got to end it here. Of course, none of this has been financial advice. Uh, <laughs> maybe just simple life advice. Life advice, that's all. Yep. Bitcoin is risky. So is ETH, so is crypto. But my God, the banking system is more risky than ever. You could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.